The views and opinions expressed by the guests on the following program do not necessarily represent those of Mark Radio, The Shepherd, or its advertisers. From the studios of The Shepherd Radio Network, it's Afternoons with Mike. This next hour is all about our walk with Jesus with local pastors, newsmakers, people who are making a difference for the gospel. Now, here is your host, Mike Gilland. Happy Wednesday to you. It is so great to have on the line Dr. James Spencer from the D.L. Moody Center. He's been on my program a number of times. And my goodness, we got to be together face to face. That's not always the case with people who live out of town like he does. But at the NRB in May, I got to meet uh, James face to face, as I said. And we were able to talk there, and uh, it is always great to have you on the line. Welcome back, sir. Yeah, thanks for having me, Mike. It's great to be here. You know, I'm Saturday. Now, I'm, I had kind of a, a busy Friday, and Saturday I'm home. I'm uh, looking at Fox News on my phone. I'm just kind of doing what a lot of Americans do, the mindless scrolling through stories. And all of a sudden, boom, there's Dr. James Spencer. And on Fox, that had to be crazy. How did that come about, my friend? Well, you know, uh, they were looking for somebody to do just a brief um, kind of overview of any biblical passage. Um, they they kind of gave me uh, free reign. And so I decided I'd look at uh, Jesus welcoming the little children. I thought it was actually pretty appropriate with Thanksgiving coming up. Absolutely. Um, now, you I know, know. So, yeah, it was great. You've done this before. This is not your first time with Fox, right? Uh, no, I've done, uh, I think I've done three or four pieces with them, um, as well as being on the Lighthouse Faith podcast um, mm-hmm. with Lauren Green. And so they're always just very welcoming and, uh, and great folks to work with. Really easy. Well, it's really wonderful to see you there. And again, you're, you're one of these leaders that I think I, it's a perfect fit for them to talk with you because you're not, you not only come across so genuine, but you're obviously trained and studied up and educated. You know what you're talking about, and I, I'm sure they're thrilled to have you on. But it was really great, and we had this thing booked last week, and so I'm thinking, well, there's, yeah. my, there's my Wednesday guest right there. <laughs> And <laughs> that's right. I got to read about you again before you're here. So that's pretty exciting, my friend. First of all, tell us what's happening up in your area at the DL Moody Center. Well, you know, DL Moody Center is always a, an exciting time. We've uh, we've been working on the property, so we've got a few uh, repairs done on the buildings up there. You know, we run a historic property, and taking care of historic buildings is an ongoing process. And so we've done some painting, we've done some roofing, we've uh, We've replaced a few floors, and um, you know those things are never real trivial to deal with. But um, we're really grateful that we have the uh, the funds to get those things done and to take care of those buildings well. Uh, we're also working on a project that we would be able to sort of present DL Moody to the world. I think uh, more and more what we've uh, found that our mission really needs to be is inviting people to consider the life and faith of DL Moody, and uh, we really believe that if people truly do investigate his life and faith, what they're going to see is they're going to see past the man who was very much used by God, but they're going to see the God who stands behind him. Hmm. And that's really our desire. And so um, we've got some plans that hopefully we'll be able to implement next year uh, on that. And, uh, and that'll be, that'll be excellent. Um, you know, a- apart from DL Moody Center, I've got a few other things going on. And, um, we've launched some courses. Uh, I've launched a few courses with a ministry called Useful to God. Um, and, uh, and so useful to God.com has four courses that I've written and, uh, and, and completed. We're looking to add another 20 or so courses to that. And, uh, and I started a podcast. So thinking Christian is on uh, Salem's life audio network now. Wow. And so it's been a busy end of the year, but uh, a very good and fruitful end of the year. It sounds like it. And, you know, I think a lot of our listeners who may not be that familiar with D.L. Moody, I know that you and I Mm -hmm. talked about this uh, in in terms of the center I'm talking about. I think everybody in life has heard of D.L. Moody, but I'm not sure everybody realizes that 
where you are in the Northeast that was as tied to him is what it is. I think most people like myself, I related uh, the name Moody to Chicago and the church up there and the Moody Bible Institute, etc. Sure. But uh, that uh, whole area where you are in the Northeast is really and was really home for, for Dwight, right? It was, and and you know he moved back there, so he would have moved. He was living in Boston. He moved to Chicago. Chicago was sort of an urban center at the time. It was the big place where business was growing. And so, as a young man who was trying to uh, really build a business, he was in shoe sales. Chicago was a logical move. He moved, and then the Civil War uh, started, and so he served um, in conjunction with the YMCA with the Civil War, hmm. and was sort of a chaplain of sorts there. But he only spends, you know, uh, probably a, a period of maybe 10 years in Chicago and then moves back to Northfield. So after he decides he's going to go out uh, worldwide on evangelistic campaigns as opposed to doing things in, you know, one locale, uh, his wife at the time, Emma, asked him to move back to Northfield, where he was originally from, so that he had a place to rest when he wasn't in the evangelical, even evangelistic campaign. Mm-hmm. And so he spends a fair amount of time in Northfield. He established uh, two boarding schools, one for girls, one for boys. He established a Bible Institute there, which was more of a lay training center as opposed to a higher education uh, institution. Um, And then he did uh, summer conferences uh, on the campus. And so we manage right now a 2,300-seat auditorium that he built to host pastors and young Christians and bring them together to study the Word, to worship, to pray together, and just to discern where the Holy Spirit would have them go. And so there are big swaths of his ministry that were really not only sort of conceived in Northfield, but rooted at Northfield. Mm -hmm. Now, when you say he built a 2,300—is that the number I heard correctly? 2,300 feet, yeah. Now, when he did that, that had to be an almost unheard of thing, right? It very much was. I mean, it was one of those where um, if he hadn't earned the nickname Crazy Moody in Chicago, he would have earned it there. Um, Folks were basically saying that his faith had outpaced uh, the practicalities of life. And, you know, the reality is Northfield's a relatively small town. It's probably only 2,500 in population. So he's building an auditorium that could essentially seat the entire town. Wow. (laughs) Um, But as he held these summer conferences and stuff like that, he would get standing room only. They have these huge doors on the side of the auditorium that would be opened up, and people would stand outside the auditorium just to listen to what was going on inside. Mm -hmm. And so he not only filled that auditorium, he made it too small. Isn't that something that you'd have a 2300 seat? And what year would that have been when he completed it? Boy, what year was that? It would have been late 1890s. I want to say it's 1894, if I'm recalling correctly. So, you know, we're talking about now, and when we look at the life of Charles Spurgeon, it's much the same. We're talking about people who reached massive amounts of people in a time where the crowds just did not gather that much. Sound systems weren't what they are today. Uh, you, You had to be a fairly not only eloquent speaker, but a booming speaker to even be able to be heard in a crowd of 2,300 people. I I just can't imagine what it was like for him. Yeah, I mean, these buildings were built um, with acoustics in mind. And so you can speak from the front uh, up up on stage at the auditorium and really be heard fairly well, you know, across the auditorium. But obviously there's no sound system. There's no, you know, there's no microphones. There's no nothing. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, there is a, r- a real sense in which these men, when they would preach, they had to project. You yeah. know, they're they're pushing out over just even if the crowd's quiet. I mean, we've all been in sort of those crowds. There's a level of noise that you just don't get rid of. And so, yeah, I think it was a an outstanding uh, feat just to get the gospel proclaimed um, with that many people in the room, with that many um, that much noise in the crowd. I mean, it was a very difficult thing to do ministry back then, but those yeah. men did it. Um, and they really, I think a lot of them sacrificed their bodies. I mean, there's there's stories of uh, John Wesley sort of riding back and forth on a horse, you know, and just being sick while he's preaching and then hopping off stage and heading to the next uh, town. And so these men um, really sacrificed a lot of themselves to do what they did. And mm. uh, they did it all for the service of the gospel. 
you know, we have uh, so many images in our mind in this day and age, James, about uh, celebrity pastors is what they're called, people who are traveling and maybe go from city to city, and they don't ride horses anymore when they do that. A lot of them are on jet airplanes, and it's it's like an entirely different thing. But, you know, as we're on this Thanksgiving program here talking with you today, I want to make sure that in mentioning these great names of the faith like Spurgeon or Dale Moody, we're not worshiping these men, but I love the way you said it. We are worshiping the God who stood behind them and the one that they extolled. And I think that's what's... That's what's so amazing about these guys. They were used by God in a time so different than ours. And yet, when you think about per capita, what they were able to do, again, building an auditorium that would seat the entire population of their area, that was not done at that time. It's unthinkable. And I'm sure a lot of people did think he was crazy when he was doing it. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah, and I think, you know, when I've, when I've looked back at the life of D.L. Moody, um, and I, I've recently completed some writing projects, they'll be coming out next year. Um, we're doing a, a with Ravel Publishing, there will be a three-part um, Moody Essentials volume, and I wrote the introduction to that, um, which was really great, uh, kind of a treat to dig back into D.L. Moody's life. But what you find is that if he's just a guy. Uh, he often feels that he doesn't have uh, the skills to do what he's doing. In fact, when he goes over to England and preaches, uh, one of the earls uh, that was uh, a Christian and trying to help develop a preacher school over there said, here we are, we're trying to develop a preacher school, we're working on curriculum, we're trying to teach young preachers how to do what they should do. And then here comes this guy. He's doing everything wrong. <laughs> There's <laughs> nothing about him that we want them to emulate. And yet, he, he is captivating the clergy, he's captivating the lay people. It's impossible not to feel that he really owns his faith and has this earnestness about him that is so compelling. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, he's basically saying this guy has no skill, and yet he's irresistible. Um, God is working so powerfully through him that we we can't help but have him in and have him preach regardless of what bad habits he might be cultivating in the younger preachers. Right. You know, so many people would refer to that as the anointing of God. It was that kind of hard-to-describe presence of the Lord that regardless of what appeared to be the outside giftings of the person or their natural personalities or whatever, there would be this thing, this it factor, that was part of their life that they really couldn't take entire credit for at all because it's God. God's moving in them, and not only moving in them, he's moving through them to all of these people. So, you know, he said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men. And that's exactly what D.L. Moody experienced. He had all of these people coming to him when, when, like you said, others would have looked at his life and say, hey, he doesn't have the goods for that. Right. Like, why would we ever listen to this guy? You know, uh, no more than a fifth grade education formally, um, a lifelong student of the Bible, but only English Bible. You know, this is not a scholar. This is not a, a, you know, formal theologian or anything like that. But he told compelling stories. He, He really sought to live out the faith that he preached. And so, you know, people would listen to him and recognize that he really and truly believed that if this world were to change, if God's kingdom were to be brought in, all Christians needed to do the work of evangelism and discipleship. And he was out there basically proclaiming, look, this is the work that God has done in my life. Look what he's doing through me. He can do this through all of us if we'll just surrender to him. You know, I think that compelling evangelistic message right there is what reached so many people because they they identified with D.L. Moody in, in the fact that he was a humble man and that he was not pretentious. He did not preach something that was really unattainable. Uh, it was really faith in Christ that really brought that out. And, you know, you just don't see that same message that often. And that's why I love the historic value that we have on a day like today when Thanksgiving is often looked back at the pilgrims and our early days as a country where we're establishing giving thanks to God. Uh, Certainly, that was something that D.L. Moody did in his life. Before we go, tell us a little bit about what you know his devotional life would have been. How did he give thanks to God? 
Well, I, I mean, there's a few different things that D.L. Moody does. I think number one, he he loved sort of short prayers. And so you got the impression, uh, even if you read through some of his letters that he wrote to his family and different things like that, you get the impression that he's throwing up just sort of mini prayers every, every moment. Mm. You know, Lord, thank you. Um, Lord, help me with this. Lord, you know, and, and so he's, he's throwing out these different things all day. And I think there's something in that that we we probably need to uh, take a step back and really think about. I think a lot of us think of prayer as a very formal activity where we need to sit and we need to, you know, um, really concentrate on prayer. But you and, and D.L. Moody did that, too. But I think you get the impression that he is actively per, pursuing God in every moment of his life, that these this is something that his prayer life is ongoing. It's not a moment. Yeah. It's not a set of moments. It's all day. Yeah. And um, you see that coming out in his letters. Asking for prayer, praying for people is a much more fluid uh, sort of—it's uh, it, sort of integrated into his conversation. It's, it's very organic, the way it comes out. And so I think that speaks to his devotional life. Now, we do know that he sought out people to teach him. Uh, he, he loved to be able to uh, sit back and listen to biblical scholars and those kind of things, and so that was definitely part of his devotional life. But I'd also just say, you know, he viewed prayer as, uh, and, and I would say Thanksgiving, as a constellation of practices that Christians needed mm-hmm. to be practicing. And that, to me, is, is that sort of holistic vision of these practices that, that D.L. Moody put forth. That, to me, is what sets him apart. You know, you have that uh, biblical command, pray without ceasing, and I think a lot of people think, well, that's impossible. I can't pray 24-7, 365, but that's right. that's not what that means, and it sounds like what D.L. was uh, kind of going after was really a great description of that uh, and fulfilling that command from Scripture. That's right. Yeah, I get the sense of, you know, it's almost like when I'm taking a long trip in the car with my wife and kids, Right. You know, you don't have to have a sustained conversation with each other the whole ride. But when something comes up, you know, when something comes up, or you need something or you want to, you know, you want to engage them, they're right there. And so, you know, you don't take an eight hour trip with your wife and kids and never talk to them. Wow. And, that's and I right. think that's probably how D.L. Moody viewed his daily life. It's like, well, I'm on a 24 hour journey today. Um, God's sitting right next to me. So whenever I want to talk to him, need to talk to him, he's right there. Otherwise, I'm I'm sort of doing the work that he's given me to do, but it's not as if I'm doing it separate from God. God is right next to me. Tell us a little bit about, we've got like a minute left before I have to take a quick break. Tell us about his heart for young people. Yeah. Dio Moody, uh, you know, he was constantly involved with the younger generation. He did a lot with um, poor kids. And I think a lot of that really stemmed from his experience as a young man. Dio Moody's dad died when he was very young and left his family in poverty. And so I think D.L. Moody always had a heart for those kids who needed help, needed physical help, needed spiritual help, and he wanted to provide them with opportunities that would allow them to uh, flourish, not only in society, but to flourish as Christians. Mm. And so when they formed the Northfield Seminary for Girls, for instance, and the Northfield Mount Harmon for Boys, one of the things they said was that education was not intended just for upward social mobility. It was intended to cultivate Christian usefulness. Mm. And that's really what his aim was with those kids. Oh, boy. Praying for our young people today that they can catch a vision the way he did and reach these people in our country, man. We need mm. we need the D.L. Moody's that are alive today to step up the way he did. My guest today is Dr. James Spencer. He's from the D.L. Moody Center. We're going to be talking about 10 days of thankfulness, a challenge to us all when we return. This is the Thanksgiving program on Afternoons with Mike. We'll be right back. EC Waters Air Conditioning and Heat serves all your comfort needs. With over 40 years experience, EC Waters is a top trained comfort specialist, earning customers for life with integrity. No wonder EC Waters Air Conditioning and Heat has earned a 4.6 or higher out of 5 rating and reviews across all major online platforms. For all your comfort needs, call 407-603-9144 or visit ecwaters.com. Palm Beach Atlantic University Orlando offers three distinct areas of study. An evening Master's of Science in Clinical Mental Health Counseling, 
an evening Bachelor's of Science in Human Services, and our new daytime Bachelor's of Science in Nursing. All of our courses are offered at our beautiful campus on Millennia Boulevard. For more information or to schedule a tour, call 844-PBA-ORLANDO. That's 844-PBA-ORLANDO. Thanksgiving week here and afternoons with Mike. So happy to have my friend, Dr. James Spencer. And, you know, this, uh, I remember the first time I learned, I, I did not know all about Northfield and how that uh, D.L. Moody was, you know, basically he would be, he would repose there in Massachusetts. And I didn't yeah. know that. I thought he spent all of his time in Chicago, his namesake, <laughs> and, you know, up there and, and realizing that, you know, and it makes perfect sense. We all need that place to kind of be restored and to reflect. And in his day, I mean, that was probably doubly true because even travel was so much more, as you were saying, it's so much more exhausting in that day than it is today, right? Yeah, and I, I think overall, this is one of the, the things that I've learned as I've studied Deal Moody, is that, um, you know, there, there's a way for us to think that he existed in a world that is very much like our own. Yeah. But he really didn't. I mean, you're talking about the beginnings of urbanization and industrialization in the United States, right? Turning from, you know, um, small sort of mom and top pop stores to the development of the railroad system, you know, the um, increasing uh, factory work that was going on in big cities, the uh, attendant problems that come along with just building an urban environment like basic sanitation. You know, so he's living in a very difficult time in a lot of ways. He's not mm-hmm. just heading home, hopping on the internet, you know, turning on the heat, right? Like he's got all of these sort of modern, uh, these, you know, day-to-day issues that he's going to be dealing with, as well as doing all the work that he's doing uh, with regard to the gospel. And so it's, it was a very gritty time is the way I think of it, yeah. um, when D.L. Moody was doing his ministry. And I think particularly with the Civil War, right, people don't necessarily, or I didn't at least necessarily, understand the impact of the Civil War and how challenging it was to have sort of a, you know, the development of a, a stronger federal government that could hold all the states together and also police some of the things that were going on in the South. Mm-hmm. And so— you know, Dale Moody, yeah, he grew up in a very—and ministered in a very difficult era um, where there was a lot of change happening in the United States, not a lot of, of settling of things that were going on. You know, there wasn't this sort of baseline of, hey, this is what the world is going to look like. This is how everything's going to work. This is the, the basic infrastructure we can expect. Things were just changing and changing and changing and changing. And a lot of that had to do with, like I said, that industrialization, the urbanization, and then the massive immigration that's happening. Mm -hmm. And so you're constantly dealing with folks who weren't in America just, you know, five days ago or what have you. And so, yeah, everything from what's going on in America to travel, trains would have been probably the most comfortable means of transportation, honestly. Um, But to go overseas, he's in a boat. Um, And there's there's a great story of him. He was coming back on a little boat called the Spree, and a, a storm came up. He'd uh, before he left on this trip, he'd been diagnosed with some health problems, and he was thinking about you know stepping back from his ministry just to take care of his own health. He gets in this close shipwreck uh, on the Spree, and he cries out to God and says, "Lord, if you just spare my life, I won't take a break. Um, that was silly. I'm just going to keep working for you." And so he gets back from that trip on the spree where he almost dies and just rededicates himself to uh, ongoing ministry with the Lord. Wow. So this was not an easy thing for him to do by any stretch of the imagination. You know, when I'm hearing you describe the country, America, in D.L. Moody's time, it sounds hauntingly similar to today with change going on, fast change, people not knowing where they are, all of this stuff that's happening with immigration, thinking about our border is so insecure right now. You know, it's almost like D.L. Moody would be very much at home in America in 2023. I think one of the interesting things about studying D.L. Moody is that while he dealt with different issues than we're dealing with right now, um, there is a sufficient similarity across those times. Mm-hmm. If you look at it and think, okay, yeah, there's there's all the immigration issues that we're dealing with, so we've got those kind of things. 
we're still dealing with the um, challenges of race, you know, which D.L. Moody would have faced before and after the Civil War. Um, you know, and how do we reconstruct this relationship between uh, blacks and whites? And what I'm thinking, really too, like? about the divided nature of the country. That's right. And, and so, you know, you want to talk about polarization. I mean, that polarization uh, pre-Civil War led to the Civil War. You have two sides of the country that fundamentally disagree on a really important issue, and they fight a battle over it. And so, you know, there are a lot of echoes from that time with um, for what we're dealing with now. And the way D.L. Moody navigated them, I think we can see, you know, the good and the bad of how he handled some of those things and really learn a lot of lessons to understand, look, you know, nobody's going to make – nobody's going to just sort of thread that needle perfectly, mm-hmm. right, across right. every social issue. But D.L. Moody's focus on the gospel is absolutely something that we need to learn from. He refused to just, you know, to fall into the political realm. He continually went back to the gospel and said, no, if men are ruined by sin, what they need to be is redeemed by the blood of Christ and restored by the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And if we can't get those three things, nothing gets fixed. That's right. And that was incredible wisdom then, and it is so today. We've got to have that. If there's not a return, I've heard so many people say this, if we don't return to the Lord as a nation right now, if we don't uh, stop this trajectory, you know, we're at a crossroads in our country right now. And it's hard to imagine what it's going to be like on the other side of that decision. But we've got to have the Lord. And that's what we are crying out for the way he did. And I think it's so wonderful to talk about a man of history Because, again, Thanksgiving is so much being thankful for the history that God has given us, the uh, maybe in our own family history, the blessings of our children, the blessings of of a nation in which you can be thankful and grateful and worship God, thankful that we can still do that even in 2023. But, boy, there's a lot to be learned, and we need to be aware of our history. If we are not aware of our history, that that is a dangerous place, isn't it? It is, and I think that sometimes we can look back at our history and really kind of say, well, that's not going to happen the same way again, and so we don't have that same problem. But the reality is that as Christians, we know what the base problem is, and there's no social configuration, there's no political arrangement that is going to keep human sin at bay forever. Right. There just isn't. That basic problem has to be solved. And, you know, for Christians, what I would just encourage is to say, you know, our what we ought to be thankful for, I think, just at our most basic level, is that Jesus gave of himself to sacrifice for us that we might be saved. I mean, we have salvation from sin because Jesus made a choice. Right. And Jesus Jesus knew that equality with God was not something to be used for his own advantage. And so he set it aside, came down to earth, lived a, a perfect life, died on the cross, was sacrificed for us, and makes a way for our forgiveness. And that basic level of thanksgiving, right, that, that sort of piece of gratitude that nests everything else that we have, that's what should be our motivation, I think. Yeah. It should be our motivation to say what only Christians can say, which is Jesus is Lord and everything else that that means. We're the only people who can say that. You know, so we can look at it in terms of, you know, yes, do we live in a nation that has, you know, um, under God in our Constitution or that has, you know, in God we trust on, on the money? Sure. Mm-hmm. But we're the only people who say Jesus is Lord. And, and we have to be proclaiming the gospel because there's no other way for us to really fix what's wrong with people um, and, other than to just say we're completely dependent on Christ as everyone else is. Isn't it crazy, James, how so many people today who do not uh, and there are not able to say that, they don't say it because they're not believers, and yet they try to come with some sort of purpose of meaning and to actually say what is good or define what is good or define what is thankful, void of all understanding of God or involvement by God or in His Word. It's impossible to do that without God, isn't it? It is, and I I think this is where, you know, again, Christians really need to be clear about what we're doing. Um, We can't keep putting false hope out there, Mm -hmm. right? Let's just fix this system or fix this process or, 
um, you know, change this policy or what have you. There, those are good things. I'm not discounting those kind of activities. But at the end of the day, all of it needs to be framed in terms of Jesus is Lord. We're the only group. We are. That is our message. That's right. It's our contribution to the world. If we can't say it, nobody else is going to. And what that what that leaves people with is sort of fumbling about, trying to figure out how to fix a world that can't be fixed. Yeah. And so, you know, we've got to be proclaiming the gospel at, at, at bottom. That just has to be who we are as a people. And then whatever else it is that we do, you know, when, when once we start participating in politics or once we get involved in social action and all those kind of things, those are aspects of our proclamation. I think that there are works that we do that, that sort of arise from our conviction that Jesus is Lord. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, after all of that, though, I do think it's interesting, you know, whenever people are faced with problems, they're always going to try to seek a solution. And so it's not odd to me that people who don't know Christ are trying to seek solutions somewhere. They're recognizing the limits of their capability, and they're trying to come up with something that will make life bearable. Mm-hmm. something that will make life meaningful. That isn't odd to me. Um, what's odd to me is that as the church, we're not stepping in and saying, like Paul did, you know, this God that you don't know. Yeah. Right. We know him. Yep. And and we can we can tell you who he is. And so this is what you're really searching for. Boy. And, you know, I think his wisdom shown there to the Athenians that— we need to be involved with our culture. We've got to engage with our friends, our neighbors, and do that very yeah. thing that you're talking about, share the gospel, because a lot of these people, they're not going to hear it from any other place if we don't do it. That's right. And I, I think we have to be really careful. Um, and I, I, you know, I do this in my own life on occasion. It's like, I, I usually think of it in terms of settling for wholesomeness whenever holiness will do. Yeah. And and it's like we we sort of become settled on, well that got this is more moral, yeah, right. Yeah. This is somehow uh, it feels safer, yeah. Um, and it's it's sort of a a way for us to uh, be a little bit more complacent, um, and, and just kind of sit back and say, well, you know, they're not killing people, so I guess that's okay. It's not. <laughs> well, it's <laughs> right? not. I mean, yeah, we have to own that as Christians. It's never okay. Morality is not okay. Morality still leads to eternal damnation apart from Christ. Yeah, that's right. And so for us, like, yes, there is something to be said for working toward morality. And I think that our our political leaders and all those kind of things, they are supposed to exercise judgment. They're supposed to call balls and strikes on justice and injustice. But that's not what the church is supposed to do. That's right. The church is supposed to speak the gospel. We're supposed to witness to Jesus. We're supposed to give the world a different way of life that they could look at and say, wow, that's what it looks like to live with the triune God. And it's like, yeah, that's what it is. And so I, I think we've got to, you know, we've got to really be careful about how we, what we settle for. And even when we come up on Thanksgiving, you know, Thanksgiving can be a time where we focus on just sort of that wholesome aspect of who we are, mm-hmm. right? I mean, I love my family as much as anybody else does. But at the same time, what we need to keep in mind is that love for family is nested within a love for God. It, it just is. Yeah. Uh, everything we are and have That's as Christians right. comes from our commitment to the Lord and our love, our love for Him. It extends out of that. And so yeah. we need to be thankful that God has given us His Son. We need to be thankful for the grace that He's shown us. And we need to let that thanksgiving sort of spill over into other areas of our lives. You know, I think, and, oh, boy, and, go yeah. ahead. I'm sorry. No, please go ahead. Well, I started to say, I I think one aspect of theology that helps us do that is understanding our union with Christ. We were made to be with him and we were made to show him and to live this with him. Yeah. Yeah, it absolutely is. And I I mean, I think what, what we talk about being in Christ, being with Christ, being united with Christ, um, part of what we miss a lot of times is that we're to imitate Christ. And so um, looking at his life and saying, wow, what did Christ actually do? Well, we already talked, you know, he he set aside, he didn't view his equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage. He didn't go after things with selfish ambition. He set himself aside, he self-sacrificed, and that was the way he lived his life. I mean, we we serve a lamb who was slain, 
And and that lamb who is slain, paradoxically, is going to be victorious. And, and so we tend to, you know, we need to live our lives like that as well. We need to just continually set ourselves aside for others. And we need to make sure that as we're doing that, we're just thankful we have the opportunity um, not to uh, have a life free from pain or discomfort, but to have a life that is uh, that where we're able to imitate Christ wow. and to follow yeah. his example. That's right. And we've been given that privilege to do just that. The last words the Lord spoke before being ascended into heaven was that we will be his witnesses. And that's what he's calling us to do. And again, going back to where you are, my goodness, I can't imagine the the at times you've bound to have felt the weight and responsibility of stewarding uh, the legacy of D.L. Moody. But I know that you trust God with that and look to God as your source, not just the legacy. But uh, I know that uh, at times that can still, because you're human, it can still weigh down on you, right? It definitely is. I mean, you know, the uh, as I mentioned before, you know, the logistics of just caring for a historic campus are not trivial. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I would say when I look at my life, and I look at my job, and I look at the work that we're doing, that probably is the biggest weight, you know, um, to carry. Mm-hmm. It's very technical work. It's very administrative work. Um, it usually costs a lot of money, um, and but it's very important to do. And I think that that is the area where um, when I go about my day-to-day job, it's the area where I have most propensity to worry and uh, and not to depend on God. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's the big enough weight that I feel like uh, I'm carrying it myself yeah. more than I probably should. Yeah. And that's uh, something that I always have to sort of come back to God with and just say, I'm sorry, Lord, I know this is yours. We're just taking care of it. Whatever it is that you want to do with it is great. I'm really glad you I'm said that. I'm supposed to be following you, not, not that, you know, I'm supposed to be following God. I'm not supposed to be leading him. Yeah. Yeah, I think so many of us fall into that trap and whatever it is that we're doing, it is so easy to kind of uh, fall into that rut of self-atonement and forget yeah. the fact that we need a Savior. We have a Savior, but we can't do it on our own. We can't do it in our own strength. We need Him right. to do it. And I, I just thank you. Thank you for your uh, saying that. I think that helps a lot of people. And we have to all remember, we need the Lord. It's His battle. You know, we're just in the fight. Yeah, and I, you know, I've come to, as I've been doing a lot more thinking on discipleship and just our mission at Moody Center, one of the things I've constantly found myself saying is, um, through discipleship, God's people will be able to do more than they could ever ask or think, uh, because really it's God working through us. Mm -hmm. We need that training to allow God to work through us. We do. And if God really is a God who can do more than we could ever ask or think, why is it that we're trusting in our own wit and wisdom? to do this stuff. Great question. Great question. James Spencer from the D.L. Moody Center, my guest. 10 Days of Thankfulness Challenge. What is it? We're going to talk about it in just a moment. Pastors and financial leaders, do you need expert accounting or tax help? Do you have payroll or 1099 questions? Do you need a ministry expert to help you acquire real estate for your next project? If the answer is yes, yes, and yes, visit PetraWorldwide.org. Petra Worldwide has been strengthening ministries to transform humanity since 2007. Visit PetraWorldwide.org or call 855-481-9095. Enjoying my chat today with Dr. James Spencer. He is the leader of the D.L. Moody Center in Massachusetts. And he is has been there now for a number of years. You probably have seen him. If you are one who watches or looks at the Internet and read Fox News, you would have seen the article that was featured about uh, his and his teaching just this past weekend. And it's still there. You can just look up James Spencer on Fox and read that story. It's really, really great. And I appreciate it. Now, I know that you guys kicked off like about, what, six days ago or so, uh, something of a, of a challenge on thankfulness. Tell us about that. Yeah, so when we think about doing these challenges, what we really think about is um, helping Christians or getting Christians to set aside something that is hindering them from growing spiritually and picking up something that will help them to grow spiritually. 
And so when we frame these things as a challenge, that's really what we're talking about. We want them to set aside a hindrance and pick up help. Mm. And so the, the thankfulness challenge really is about that. We're asking Christians to set aside something that they know is keeping them from growing spiritually and to dig into the Word, to have some dedicated prayer time, and to really focus in on being thankful for what God has given them. That's what the 10 Days of Challenge is. Now, I know that uh, there's a couple of disciplines that you guys use. It's not just looking and studying, but you also include prayer. And, you know, that's something that I, it's, you know, I I remember when I was a kid, James, I saw this little motto and it said, seven days without prayer equals or or makes one week. But week was spelled (laughs) W-E-A-K. It makes nice. one week, and it's it's really true. If we go, and sadly, a lot of people go a lot longer than seven days without prayer. We need that aspect, that discipline in our life in order to make it, right? We do. and I, I mean, the way I think about it, and I've been doing a lot of work on prayer just personally lately, prayer has never come easy to me. Um, you know, I'm an, I'm an academic geek, right? So um, you give me a book to study, you give me a paper right. to write. I'm in love. Like I, I'd love to do that kind of work, but prayer has never been something that um, it really came easy to me. Hmm. And so, as we write these things for the 10 day challenge on Thanksgiving, when we're when I'm thinking about my own personal prayer life, what I believe prayer really is it's it's a it's a moment where we admit our dependency on the Lord. It, it's not really just a conversation. It's, it's that time where we come before our Lord and Savior and say, uh, I need to talk to you because I can't do the, any of these things on my own. And so we, we put ourselves in a dependent posture before the Lord when yeah. we pray. And I, I think it's so important, as opposed to just knowing things about the Bible or knowing things about God from the Bible, that we actually cultivate a real dependent relationship with the Lord. And so we try to pull prayer in, um, in that spirit, is to say, let's not just learn about Thanksgiving. Let's actually now be thankful. Mm -hmm. Take a moment, pray, be thankful, actually express it to our Creator, and, and just be thankful. See, I think prayer is really crucial for us to cultivate a, an, uh, gratitude in our lives. It sounds like it's critical in developing a relationship with the Lord as well. And, you know, we can just go through motions. There was a Christian song, a a contemporary Christian song that talked about, let me not just go through the motions. I don't want to just go through the, what, you know, like looks like it. I don't want to just try to be good. (laughs) I want the real deal. And that's, that's a real legitimate prayer for us at this Thanksgiving. You know, when I think, James, about what our country is facing, what the world is going through, I believe that history could record 2023, Thanksgiving, as almost a pivotal time. It's, we have a moment in history that is developing around us with war in the Middle East, with potential war in Taiwan and uh, China and all of the stuff that's going on. We've got this mess happening in our country at the border right now. I think when people look back, this is a pivotal time for America, and we need to be praying in this moment. Yeah, we definitely need to be praying, and I think we we also need to be setting an example for what it looks like to be a people who have gratitude. Um, you know, when you look at a lot of what's going on right now, so much of it has to do with um, <laughs> agendas that assume that uh, one group of people deserves more than another. Mm-hmm. There's this sense in which people feel slighted, like they haven't been given what they earned or deserved or what is just inherently theirs. And I think that you can't be thankful when you have those expectations. You know, if you feel you've earned it, if you feel you deserve it, someone gives it to you, you're not thankful. Yeah. You have to really recognize that you're not, you shouldn't have what you have, and that all of life is a gift. And I think so many times when we're looking out at the broad political spectrum, that's just not the case. Mm -hmm. You know, people really feel like they deserve more than they have. Nations feel like their boundaries should be broader. 
um, you know, leaders feel like they should have more power. Um, there isn't a sense of contentment and thanksgiving and a recognition that what they have is undeserved, that it is given to them for a purpose, that it is a gift. <laughs> it's not something that they earned. Yeah. And without that, it's very difficult, yeah. very difficult to mm. give thanks. You know, and I think that we've got to see that uh, with that sense of urgency that we have right now. We also need to remember looking forward that things are going to be different 10 years down the road and we need to take advantage of times like right now. I I remember one Thanksgiving, James, about 10 or 11 years ago, we went back up to Indiana. I was at my my, uh, mother's place uh, where dad and mom lived and I was sitting at their kitchen table and I, I was alone that morning and I suddenly became aware of how I needed to be thankful for the people in my life that I no longer even live near because I'm in Florida. But, and I got to thinking about my music teacher when I was in, of all things, grade school. And, you know, I contacted him. I, I just right there, I looked it up. I found his name and, and uh, I called him and, and I was able to have a chat with him. And you know what? About a year or two later, he passed away. And I, if I had not done that right in the moment that I was thinking about it, I would not have had the chance to do it again. Yeah. Yeah. I've definitely had those moments where I've, um, and I've had the luxury of staying in touch with a lot of the people who have sort of built into my life over the years. And so mm. that's been fantastic, but definitely had that experience of being able to call someone who's really had an impact on my life and just share with them. Um, you know, what God's been doing, hear what God's been doing in their lives, and just share a moment of, hey, God moves things together for our good. Yeah. A lot of times we don't even recognize it at the time. But these folks have an impact on our lives, and um, it is appropriate for us to be grateful for those things. You know, what uh, can you say to people who know they need to do this, but they don't know first steps, they don't know exactly maybe what I should be doing? What encouragement can you give people as to how to develop thankfulness in their heart? You know, I think one thing I would say, and and again, it kind of goes back to that idea of entitlement. Um, There are a lot of things in our lives right now that we feel entitled to. And I think the Bible... um, probably doesn't quite teach (laughs) that. Um, You know, if we look at something like uh, Hebrews 12, for Mm -hmm. instance, um, Hebrews 12 talks about, you know, all that is going to happen to the different kingdoms of the the earth. Um, When when God comes, the kingdoms are going to be shaken, and there's going to be this huge sort of upheaval, and a lot of things are just going to collapse. And then he ends, and then he says, therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Yes. And so when we understand that, when we understand that the world around us is going to be shaken up, when we understand that it can't survive God coming, right, um, we need to just take a step back and say, wow, God has given us something that no one else has. He's given us security. He's given us the ability to be at peace in this world. And so anything that goes wrong, it's not that it doesn't matter. I'm not saying that, you know, we can't, you know, Christians should never feel anything about what's going Mm -hmm. on in the world, that we should never feel fear or worry or anxiety or anything like that. What I am saying is that we can always recenter back on, but God has given us a kingdom that cannot be shaken. That's where I live. Mm -hmm. And and I think sometimes we forget that in all the turmoil and frustrations of life, whether they're big or small, you know, everything from wars to, you know, getting in a car accident on the way to work or something like that. You know, um, it, you know, we tend to forget that we live in a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and that all of these things that happen to us during our day can be opportunities for us to demonstrate to others what it means to live with God, if we'll just remember to be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Mm-hmm. And so I think the right way to go about it is let's formulate a right view of what's going on in the world. Let's understand who God is, who we are in relation to Him and how that allows us to interact with the world differently. And out of that understanding comes a real true sense of gratitude. That's beautiful. And I know that your 10 days challenge is really going to be a practical way that people can start 
doing that in their lives, not only in their lives, but in their families as well. How can people find that information on the web? Yep, they can just go to moodycenter.org, and uh, it's a free download off our website. Um, I'd encourage people. I know it's uh, less than 10 days before Thanksgiving, but, you know, Thanksgiving isn't the only time you can give thanks. That's so, right. That's uh, right. Feel free to download it and take the challenge. But, yeah, moodycenter.org is where they can find everything uh, and download the challenge for free. Yeah, they can start it now and be uh, not only grateful during Thanksgiving, but getting ready for Christmas, too. <laughs> That's right. Yep, moving into Christmas. So not what are your plans for Thanksgiving Day, James? Uh, we're actually hosting uh, at our house this year. Um, we're going to have uh, my parents, my wife's parents, and uh, her sister and uh, and family over. So we're just looking forward to a nice, uh, relaxing day. And uh, that's pretty much it. We don't we keep Thanksgiving real low key. The kids are off, so we just take the time and uh, hang out as a family and, and don't do much. I'll probably watch a little football. Oh, um, I wondered. <laughs> that was my next question. Yeah, yeah. So that, who are you going to be cheering for? Well, it depends on which one of my uh, my fantasy league players is playing. So I gotta, <laughs> you know, I, I'm not uh, loyal to any one team. I just sort of go with whichever whichever player I need to uh, I need to score some points. You know, I have to confess, I've never done that. My son-in-law is big into that, and I, I get around, and these guys are talking about that, and I just go like, "Holy cow! I I am such an imbecile. I don't really know all of these." <laughs> players the way they do but they keep up with it and there's a lot to watch this year uh for football and boy some big things this past weekend if you're a football fan uh, especially college football fan watching that uh, accident with that uh, quarterback for fsu that was painful and uh sad but uh football is going to be a lot of fun it's kind of a historical thing in the last couple of years for americans to do so eat the turkey, don't uh, take that nap, and then watch the game. But don't forget to be <laughs> thankful. And give us that website one more time, James. Yep, it's www.moodycenter.org for the download. All right. Thank you so much for being with me today. It's always a pleasure to talk with you. I appreciate you taking the time and investing it into our listening audience here on Afternoons with Mike. We wish for you and your family, James, a very happy Thanksgiving and a Merry Christmas as well. Thank you, sir. Same to you. And friends, we'll see you next time right here on Afternoons with Mike. <music> 